0: and welcome to another edition of Authorised, the podcast where writers speak. And today, an iconic Australian is the subject of our podcast. Well, I think you'll enjoy the chat I'm about to have. And it's all thanks, of course, to our fabulous podcast partners, CSCG, it's tax time. And well, it's always that time where you've got to look after your money and make sure you know where your finances are working and if they're working for you and all the pressures that we have with day-to-day living and the cost of living and... Uh, interest rates going up and all those things that uh, all of a sudden pile on top of you and you find yourself, uh, I guess, a little snowed under in the financial world. And if you want someone to help you, I've got just the people for you. CSCG, they're terrific. They know what they're doing. They're experts and have experts in all fields, whether it's superannuation, whether it's uh, insurance, whether it's financial planning, they have the people to talk to. So give them a call. Double nine seven four eight triple three. that's their number, and uh, you'll meet a terrific bunch of people. You can check them out on their website, cscg.com.au. Uh, you won't regret it. Jamie Callister is the author of the book that we're talking about today, and his father, Cyril, holds a very special place in the history of Australia. Go to your pantry, have a look, open it up. Is there a thing in there called Vegemite? If there is, and I'm sure there is for most of us, uh, this book is the true story of the man who invented that Australian icon Vegemite. His name is Cyril Callister, and his grandson, Jamie Callister, is the author of this book. It's a revised version of the book that came out a couple of years ago, uh, just in time for the 100th anniversary of Vegemite, not the jar that's in your pantry, even though check the use-by date while you're at it. Uh, But uh, let's talk to Jamie Callister about the proud family that brought Vegemite to the tables of all of us Aussies. The first question I want to ask you is what is it like growing up as you know, part of the family that bought Australia Vegemite.
1: And it's quite different, really, in a way, because I grew up in the sixties. Um, you know, and the Second World War was sort of recent, but sort of fading memory. And I feel I sort of got swept up in the the post war. Sort of people were moving on, and and we seemed to move with them. So, in other words, we. Dad came to us or when we were having breakfast one morning when we were about six or so. He just said, oh, look, the old man invented Vegemite and had a hand in processed cheese. And we were like, oh, my God, that's amazing. And we'd tell a few people from time to time and they'd be, like, impressed or whatever. But it wasn't sort of my calling card. I wouldn't sort of introduce myself as the grandson of the, the man who invented Vegemite. So it was pretty cool. But we didn't sort of like dwell on it too much.
0: Well, it'd be fair to say it's not, the, the, the Callister name is not a name that you immediately go, someone says Callister, you go, oh, that's the, that's the bloke who inve- invented Vegemite. It's not, there's not that
1: association? No, exactly right. So we can fly under the radar, but the, to get drilled down to the story, I mean, when Dad came to me when he was getting older and he said, look, when people come and they ask about the old man, I'll put them onto you. And then I just thought, Jesus, what am I going to say? Like, <laughs> I was sort of like, oh, Dad, you've thrown me under the bus, mate. Anyway, so I went back to all these old letters that we had lying around and we carted them around in this old case. And what I uncovered was the most amazing story. And it's not so much the product, but as the man behind the product and the fascinating life that he led. And in that circumstance, I thought, wow, this is an incredible story instead of, the hollow, oh, oh, you must be proud or whatever, once I got to the essence of the story, I thought, actually, I really am proud of this guy. What he's achieved and what he's done is just such a fantastic story. And equally, it's as much your story and everybody else's story as it is mine, and that's why I had such delight in telling it.
0: Yeah, and it, it took you to, I guess, the places that you didn't expect to go, to, to the gold fields, to the war, to to overseas, they were areas that I'm I'm assuming you would have you would have gone, what the, where the hell am I going with this?
1: <laughs> you actually hit the nail on the head that what the, you know, and more importantly it was my wife. I'd ring her up and say, oh, you're not going to believe this, and <laughs> she'd go, oh, look, don't say anything. Some of us have got to work, and I'd be off on these tangents, and it was, like, remarkable, like the fact that his um, grandfather had come out from the Isle of Man in the 1850s and, Almost on the flip of a coin, it was like Australia or California, and obviously, he chose Australia. And equally, you know, we could have been in California, like living next door to the Markles or Prince Harry <laughs> or whatever, but instead, it was Australia. And then he enlisted. The other thing that I found like quite incredible was uh, so he, he his chances of further education were pretty slim for a boy that was got growing up on the remnant goldfields around Ballarat his chance of a secondary education was pretty slim. He came from a family of nine kids. Um, They didn't have a lot of money. And to get to secondary school, he had to win a scholarship, which he did. And then from there, he went to Melbourne University where he won a major residential scholarship. And I'm thinking, well, geez, this is not quite incredible. You know, like this is a boy from the dirt floor. And then almost like, Unbelievably, in 1915, when hostilities began, he enlisted with his older brother. And that's sort of like what you were alluding to before. It's sort of like, wow, this story is just getting weirder and weirder and more incredible and touching on things that no doubt people in your family could relate to, you know, going to war, friends or whatever, or their grandparents or great grandparents. And for me, it was quite touching, but in something that was quite unique he was um withdrawn from the defense force his enlistment was um cancelled very much against his wishes and he was withdrawn and sent to the UK to make munitions and that was a different part of the story that you know I found quite incredible and then in the meantime his brother went on to Gallipoli it was torpedoed on the way, and then on to France and the horrors beyond. And you know, fortunately, he survived. But there's a wonderful photo of the two brothers in London in 1916. So, as you say, it took me from the goldfields to you know the Strand in London with the two boys getting a photo, which is unbelievable in 1916. Yeah, and that's before we come back to the Vegemite years.
0: And then, and then to Australia, and uh, you know, the depression and all the all the things that happened. Post-war, and in the middle of all that, here he is in a factory doing something that's become an unbelievable achievement.
1: Well, that's right. I mean, after the horrors of the First World War, um, you know, the, the supply chain was cut and the food stocks were sort of pretty well limited or almost unavailable, and the whole society in, in Australia was changing, and that's why the whole Vegemite story sort of, Provides this wonderful backdrop to what was going on post-war. Uh, refrigeration was in its infancy. You know, no one had fridges. If they did, they might have had a like a cool safe or whatever. Electricity was just coming in, and so one. You know, there was a Marmite was available then. It wasn't available because the um, the German U-boats have knocked out the merchant shipping. So Fred Walker, who was a Melbourne food entrepreneur, had given my grandfather. A task that would basically become his life's work.
0: Yeah, quite, uh, quite a, quite a stunning turn of events, and it, and, but it seemed to, uh, uh, I mean, reading the book, it seems like a natural progression almost.
1: It does. I mean, and the other thing is, like, people would often say, "Look, you know, what was he? Was he a uh, master chef, or what? What was he?" But he was actually a brilliant scientist, and the fact that he's like been in the war. Rub shoulders with some of these um, scientists from around the world you know he finished his days in London working um, at the university there with some of the luminaries of the day and then he comes back and he turns his hand to something completely different and he's comfortable in that world in uh, in food and he becomes a pioneer in um, Australian food technology in the 20s and 30s and To my surprise, I mean, it was something that I thought, God, this is going to be pretty boring, but, you know, (laughs) food technology, you're going to think, gee, wow, that's going to be a good read. But when you get into it, it is just such an interesting passage of history and, as I said, it just, like, goes on and on and on, like, and 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 when I say on and on and on, in a good way, not in a boring way, because, as you say, like, there's the the Depression, they go to the States, they actually meet um, James Craft, the person, And they get, ultimately, they both go. Fred Walker goes, um, my grandfather goes to Chicago in the roaring 20s, you know, the home of the drive-by shooting, you know, all the gangsters are there, do a deal with James Craft and ultimately come back to Australia. And it's the processed cheese that really gives Vegemite a kick up and a lifeline.
0: Well, had it not been for the cheese, they might have uh, kiboshed Vegemite and and that ridiculously named, um, <coughs> sorry, <laughs> par will which I mean it's been a running joke about Vegemite for for many many years but you know Ma might but Par will it just that
1: was clearly never going to fly. No, I don't think it would have even made it into a bonbon joke. It was that bad. <laughs> like, it was pretty bad. I yeah. was just hoping that my grandfather had nothing to do with it. <laughs> but the ridiculous thing about that was at one stage, there were jars of Par Will on the shelf. And then on the top shelf, there'd be a jar of Benjaminite. And it was not only that they changed the name, but the product was competing against itself. So, really, it was just a sort of like lunacy. But then I think Fred Walker had the brainwave, and he thought, "Well, look, if we can't sell Vegemite, let's give it away." And so what they did, they gave away a small jar of Vegemite with every block of the new craft cheese that people were loving. You know, and let's let's not forget that you know, as I said before, refrigeration was almost non-existent. So something like like Vegemite and craft cheese that could sit on the um, bench in your pantry and last forever and a day was something you could go to, whereas if it was meat or vegetables without refrigeration in Australia, they'd spoil quite quickly.
0: Mm. wasn't exactly an overnight success either, was it? I mean, the persistence of, of your dad and the people, of your granddad, sorry, and the people involved around it made it happen when really everything probably said, from a financial point of view, not to continue.
1: Well, that's exactly right. And that's the thing that strikes me um, as quite incredible and, you know, there are very few products where you would have persevered and where the boss would have persevered. Like Fred Walker um, backed my grandfather as my grandfather backed Fred Walker and, you know, he did some stuff with other food products that he probably didn't want to do to help the business keep alive. You know, he worked out at a cannery out in Dandenong, you know, he got on his motorbike and used to ride out there in the winter mornings and the cold and keep the cannery going, to help Fred's business keep going. And that's why I said before, I mean, he was a remarkable human. You know, he could turn his hand to anything, but it was his perseverance. But there was a couple of factors here. He always knew that it was a strong source of vitamin B, you know, the B group of vitamins. And vitamin testing was in its infancy in the 20s. And so he uh, sent a sample to an eccentric professor, Plimmer at St Thomas's Medical School in London, and Plummer sent back a wonderful letter basically saying that he'd tested it on some ailing pigeons in his lot <laughs> who'd been sick with, like, yeah, funny. I mean, it was ridiculous. I mean, they have been sick with um, polyneuritis, which I had no idea what it was, but apparently it's like berry, in humans. And over the course of a month he'd cured them. So he got the letter back, basically, your product's good to go, but please don't use me in any of your advertising. Probably you'd seen the par will. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: The other thing that happened, or was happening at the same time too, was that Marmite was was quite a, a healthy, robust brand that people did like.
1: Well, that's right. I mean, and that was the whole thing. But the thing about it was that um, you know conspiring in their favour, as I said, that it was pretty well unavailable. And then when it came back online, Vegemite was starting to be a reasonable competitor, and then. You had a number of other things. The American admin rolled up, the guys, you know, from J Walter Thompson in the Kraft Walker case, and they started to write a very good copy and make all sorts of wonderful claims about Vegemite. You know, it could just about do anything really, you know, and it gave you nerves of steel and everything. You know, I don't know how you get away with it, but you sort of just sat down and just wrote the most ridiculous copy but that really helped things move along. And it wasn't just um, Vegemite. There were another a lot of uh, companies from overseas trying to beat the tariffs that set up in Australia, you know, um, you know the Ford Motor Company set up outside of Geelong, Kellogg's, you know, Spalding, numerous companies set up and obviously relied on the new age admin to kick things along with radio and print. And, I mean, that helped Vegemite as it helped a number of other companies.
0: In terms of the development of Vegemite as a as a as a product and as as a brand, and, and as a consumer, my dad my dad ate it. I ate it. My my son eats it. It's such a part of uh, the Australian of Australia. It's it's you know not the national dish, but bloody close to it.
1: Well, that's the thing, isn't it? I mean, I've been thinking about this and, I mean, it'd be a great question at university or in Year 12, you know, the philosophical, you know, what is Vegemite? How does it relate to the Australian psyche? And the, the thing I like to think about it is that represents everything that's good about Australia because, say, for example, you've just told me your story and other people tell me their stories, which is exactly the same to mine. Now, if somebody tells you their story and they don't like Vegemite you don't care less. Like it's sort of like fair enough, mate. It's not a major social issue. Whereas if it's something else, we can argue about it like cat and dog. But with Vegemite, you either love it or you hate it. And if you hate it, it doesn't worry us that love it. And we, the people that hate it, love to try it on other people to see if they hate it as much as they do. So yeah. it's just the win-win. Everybody, you know, gets a kick out of it. And I think now also with it being such an internationally recognised symbol of Australia. When it goes overseas and you get the celebrities trying it, and it's just you know, it's a lot of fun. That's the thing, isn't it? It's a lot of fun, and it tastes bloody good.
0: <laughs> Couldn't disagree with that. How do you uh, partake of Vegemite uh, the most? What, what?
1: <laughs> look, I I love Vegemite, but I mean, look, I'll I'll have it on toast like everybody else but I'll also have it on biscuits like in the afternoon for a snack or whatever. And the funny thing is the more I talk about it, the more I feel like eating it. <laughs> and probably the worst thing you can do is go overseas and forget to pack it. It's sort of like a, it's a sort of your nightmare moment. You're at the airport and you, you're always thinking about what you've forgotten. Then you go, oh, the Vegemite, I left it, you know, on the pantry, you know, blah, 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 the little tube I had ready to go. And then you meet people overseas and you can either sponge a bit off them or they'll tell you to piss off and bring your own. <laughs> <laughs> um, when,
0: uh, when the ownership of it changed and all that sort of stuff happened, how did, how did, the, how did your family handle that side?
1: Uh, of well, we weren't delighted. Like a lot of people, um, you know, but you can't control what happens in the business world. It wasn't... Um, Something we enjoyed. I mean, look, we've had a good relationship, our family, with um the owners of Veggie you know, since my dad and now with me. So, I mean, we had good relations with Kraft and Mondelez and whatever, but it's not the ideal situation. And I think now that Bega's come back into play, I mean, I know some of the people from Bega and um they have a passion for the brand and the fact that they're an Australian company that they come from the south coast of New South Wales and they have a proud history themselves, it's just a perfect fit. And, you know, there's inclusion in the new book about how they came to buy back um, Vegemite, which is quite an extraordinary tale in itself.
0: Yeah, yeah. Uh, What what did you want to – I mean, this is obviously an updated version of the original book. I mean, it's 100 years. Uh, 1923 was when uh, your granddad uh, first invented it and – Bought it home and made everyone eat it. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, what uh, what were you hoping to? What are you hoping to achieve with with this one? To tell to tell that story, to get that story out there about about that man because it's a hell of a story.
1: Well, that's exactly right. I mean, as I said, look, I, when I when I sort of almost stumbled across the story, I mean, well, I went looking for it, but I was just I was thinking, look, there's not going to be a lot here, but I've got to find out if I'm going to talk about it. I'd like to be informed and know what I'm talking about. And as soon as I started to, like, dip my my toe in the water, I found, oh, my God, this is an amazing story. So he was a remarkable human. And, And when I say that, I don't say it in a hollow way because when I've spoken to family and, you know, colleagues that worked with him and particularly one guy, Keith Barra, who was a brilliant man himself, um, he held him in such high regard, it was almost embarrassing when he was talking about it. But what what I got out of it was, look, what he did was quite extraordinary. Here's a fellow scientist saying, look, what, what your grandfather did was really extraordinary. And there's not only Vegemite, um, the processed cheese, but the whole contribution to science, the food industry, you know, the chemical institutes in Australia and Victoria and, you know, whatever, and going overseas with Sir David Rivett from the CSIRO to get the Royal Charter for the Australian Chemistry Society was just like quite remarkable. So in that respect, it's sort of like, wow, this is like quite amazing. And Yes, people should know who he is because, as I said, it's as much their story. Like it's a wonderful Australian story. I mean we can tell stories about, um, you know, historical figures that we all know and people write all these different books on Gallipoli and whatever, and rightfully so, but this is equally a wonderful part of history that people, that touches on all our lives or most of our lives that a lot of us are unaware of.
0: I'm surprised, uh, to be honest, that the name isn't out there more and isn't more recognised and acknowledged as, as you know, having done something fabulous for uh, for all of us.
1: Well, so was I. I mean, in particular, I mean, he went to school with Robert Menzies and they were lifelong friends. Now, I knew that they had a relationship, but I didn't know it was, like, um, quite solid. And, you know, because he was, a um, you know, the pallbearer at his funeral, and I just find it's remarkable that he wasn't um, a household name in the fact that he'd achieved so much and, you know, he'd risen to the highest ranks in, you know, in in science in Australia.
0: Mm. Yeah, it's, it's it's quite extraordinary. Given, given what an icon it is of, of Australia, If if this was America, there would be statues. There would be there would be wings of universities. There would yeah. be uh, grandstands in uh, you know in some stadium somewhere would be named after him. There would be a million things named after him. But here we we yeah we we kind of don't do that, which is and I think which the is other good thing, for us. And
1: that's but, what I sort of like in a way is that he certainly wasn't about that. He wasn't like um, about drinking his own bathwater. Yeah. He was a very solid, humble person. And I think that's the other part of the story. Like he did a lot for those people around him, you know, it particularly, um, you know, he, he would employ the best man for the job, whether it was woman, man, whoever, and he he was just a decent human, but he was also pretty harsh. Like if somebody wasn't doing their job properly, he'd sack them. Like, he, you know, he wasn't going to be the like the mate, you know, it's going to sort of be all matey and I oh, know he's one of us, blah, blah, blah. If they're doing a shit-ass job, you were gone. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, quite extraordinary.
0: Yeah, no, he sounds like a real character. I mean, he does. He sounds like a real character and, a, 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 you know, unashamedly Aussie character.
1: That's exactly right. I think so.
0: Yeah, the spade's a spade and, and if you don't like it, like it. Off you go.
1: That's right. <laughs> exactly. Uh, how,
0: much of, how much of him is in you?
1: Well, I'd like to think I had a few brains, but unfortunately, (laughs) I'm certainly not in the same league. That's what I thought when Dad said to me, "Oh, you know, uh, when anyone comes asking about the old man, I'll put them onto you." I thought, "Well, unleash the village idiot!" Like you know, (laughs) (laughs) Uh,
0: no, it's it's a really the most engaging story, a fascinating story uh, behind uh, you know something that sits in every pantry in Australia, and you. You walk past it every day of your life. You walk past it in the supermarket every day of your life and you go, wow, now this this book tells that story. And I'm, I'm glad you did it.
1: Yeah, no, I, I'm really glad I did it as well. And as I said, not just for me, but for you and for, for a lot of other people. Yeah. Because it's something that we can all be proud of. Yeah. Go, wow. That's a, bit of, that's a bit of a yarn, isn't it? Like, yeah. and you think, hey, that's all right. I'll yeah. have a slice of that.
0: Yeah. No, absolutely. <laughs> Good on you, Jamie. Thanks so much for your time. Really appreciate it.
1: No worries. Thanks, Kevin. What
0: a nice bloke Jamie is and uh, terrific to catch up with him. And uh, now you know. So when you're asked if it's a trivia question at a, a quiz night uh, somewhere, who invented uh, Vegemite? The name is Cyril Callister and that was his grandson, Jamie Callister. The book is called Vegemite, the true story of the man who invented an Australian icon. It's available uh, through Murdoch Books. So uh, a terrific read, uh, as we mentioned uh, in that chat with Jamie. Not just about uh, inventing Vegemite, but all the other things that went uh, with the Callister family, and uh, and what Cyril, uh, his brother, and uh, and uh, the the family achieved over many many years. And Jamie was terrific in bringing that story to us. Great to catch up. Don't forget uh, my fabulous podcast partners CSCG. They'll help you with your financial goals. So give them a call on double nine seven four eight triple three. Or jump on the website, cscg.com.au. Wherever you found this edition of Authorised, there's plenty more, some very interesting stories, more Australian icons, uh, great Australian authors, uh, and all sorts of stories and uh, and tales to tell. Uh, so please check it out, the Authorised podcast. Hope you enjoyed this one. Till the next time, read a book, be a bit of fun, and uh, warm you up on these cold winter nights.